And then during this kind of giant economic downturn, they acquired their competitor who raised like 15 times whatever they were raising because of the smaller company was like being really frugal and then doing thinking out of out of their boxes and then instead of doing what their competitor was doing the unicorn company was just raising a lot of money and then using the money to buy ads so basically i feel like what that taught me personally was like sometimes start fail not because of you did not raise enough money it's because of you are using the money inefficiently and then you forgot your startup you're just like trying to spend a lot of money to beat your competitor by trying to buy the success. I think having a product, really listening to your customer and then really trying to be frugal and then trying to doing things in the emerging way, it's gonna get you a lot more further than if you just spend money and then trying to buy the success. Welcome in listeners to the Free Retiree Show. Today we have a wonderful guest, Grace Gong. And she is the founder of Smart Venture Capital. She has done many interviews with the top level executives of the Silicon Valley and uh, corporate America. And she is the author of The Last Keys to Success, interview with 21 founders featuring the Forbes 30 Under 30. And she's also the author of How to Be a VC. And she has interviewed 22 investors for that book on the Forbes Midas list. So she has got a wealth of knowledge. Today, she's going to be talking about all about how you become a successful company and the keys to be successful in your career. I'm your host, wealth manager, Lee Michael Murphy, and I'm alongside my pals. Let's start with the guru of Silicon Valley, interview coach, Sergio Valentino Patterson. Why do you change the tone of your voice? I, What's up, everyone? Happy Friday. I love it because we get random guests that listen to it, and then they all say, oh, hello, sir. Because they've, they've only heard me say it that way, so that's what I'm going for. And we have Silicon Valley's favorite attorney, the only attorney that drives a Hummer, has a beach scene tattoo on his rib cage, attorney Matt McElroy. Oh, that's a new intro. Nice. Pretty good. Is that true? A be- what kind of tattoo is it? A literal what beach scene. It's what, got palm scene? trees. Oh, okay. There's a waterfront. It's wow. It's, it's always a tattoo. Oh yeah. It, yeah. yeah it's, it's quite magical. Yeah. It was one of his first tattoo decisions back in his. Uh... No, it was like my <laughs> fifth, maybe. So it was a beach. <laughs> it was. You a have beach. a beach on your buddy. <laughs> I, I, I have. Yeah, I have a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's not just that. It's like a collage of a lot of things. But yeah, a, a, a beach is one component of it. Yes. I, I mean, love- why the beach? I'm just like so distracted by like the tattoo decision there oh, it, it, like, all, all welcome to the show general. grace we love you already <laughs> yeah. oh my god let's interrogate matt <laughs> see yeah. grace grace no, no. you're the perfect person for my podcast you get me this is how i set this up this is perfect i feel you oh, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, my, I'm sure oh. the audience want to know what's happening there but yeah <laughs> long decisions bad decisions grace welcome to the show you've had some amazing interviews and you are kind of like the queen of venture capital at this moment. You've had fantastic people on your podcast. Give us a little bit about your expertise in the venture capital space and how you got into it. So basically, like when I came to America, I was an international student and I do now have like much of a business connection in the U.S. And then after I graduated, when I moved 
to Silicon Valley, I realized a lot of my friends can just run into a big tech executive on their campus. And they have that kind of opportunity to pick brains or like directly ask questions to these people. However, a person like myself who did not like having this kind of network when I was in school or I went to a great school, but like our school is in the Midwest than in the Bay Area. Although our education was great, it's a top public school, but like when compared to the career decisions, the career opportunities, I think like people with that kind of opportunity who can directly have conversation with these people are definitely having an edge, right? So like I want to create that kind of edge for people who are not physically going to be able to surround themselves with these kind of caliber of people. And I want to create that conversation on my podcast. So people who, let's say, if they are living in a country or a state or or somewhere that like they may not able to have the access to these people, they can hear the question being asked by a person who are just like them to get these kind of insights for them. So that's what why I kind of started the show. And fast forward to a little bit about my background is I've always been fascinated by starting a company. I started like an English newspaper when I was in high school because I went to an international high school in China and then everybody studied abroad. But like we didn't have much of a extracurricular activity. We're primarily just like studying all the time. So when we were all applying to college in America, we really need to have the extracurricular activity as one one third of the application. So I just decided to document every single thing we did. I decided to put together this English newspaper so we can send it to the the school that we're applying. So that's my first like kind of taste in entrepreneurship. Fast forward to moving to Silicon Valley, I realized that a lot of my friends have done that. Uh, when they were younger, they're more started like tech projects or like some small project that's entrepreneurial, like selling stuff online and stuff like that. And then eventually they turn those into actual businesses. So I just started interviewing my friends, my friend of friends, and like I interviewed 21 founders on Forbes and 30 about how they created their company. And then later on, I interviewed 22 investors on the Forbes Midas list. So those are investors who invested Apple, Meta, uh, Twitter or like all these big tech companies on how they uh, decided to invest in these companies. And I created these books to like primarily share the insights I've learned from these people to, again, like to the younger me, to, to the people who are not necessarily having the, the network. You have the two books, The Last Key to Success and then How to Be a VC. What's the difference between the two? I'm sure there's different parts that you enjoyed about writing both books, but Give us the difference and which one do you think you enjoyed a little more, if you can make that verdict? Oh, I think I enjoyed the journey a lot, um, being able to meet and speak with a lot of people. And then I fortunately, like I landed a job after I wrote my second book in venture capital. So I worked in venture and then being able to leverage these kind of like connections and then helping founder in their founding journey, it's like extremely interesting. And then being able to work with them and like kind of leveraging what I've learned from these conversations was like really interesting for me. Yeah, you had some top-notch interviews. You interviewed the president of FTX. And the founder, CEO. So like yeah. first two people. Yeah, and the president and then Pepsi CMO, Todd Kaplan, co-founder, CEO of eToro, which is pretty huge. They're growing rapidly. You've had some fantastic interviews. What have you learned from these interviews in terms of what's making these people take off or these companies take off? Because I think the stat is three out of four venture capital projects will implode rather quickly. So what are you finding that separates these successful projects from the ones that are kind of the norm? 
Oh yeah, totally. I think like it's a lot higher than that. Ninety-five percent of like startups fail, right?、Mm-hmm. So in terms of like how, let's say, like the founder of FTX or like the founder of Etoro or、uh, Sam of Pepsi, I think like all of them share maybe three common factors. Number one is I think they all know themselves pretty well. So all of these people probably have other career choices, but like they make the decision that kind of suits themselves. They all kind of unleash their inner like. Just unfair advantage, as I think each person have something that they are extremely good at. Like most other people are gonna have a hard time to catch up on, and they found what that is, and then they really leverage that into their business. I think that's number one, and then number two is primarily all these people kind of. Pick up like on a big wave. So let's say crypto, or for example, FTX, right? So I think they are like crypto is a really big wave, as well as like people's adoption, right? If this company started, let's say, ten years ago, I don't really know if it will just like instantly succeed, right? So I think like picking the right time and then hopping on the big giant wave, it's like extremely important. And number three is I would say like hiring your weakness. So I think、mm. or teaming up with your weakness, right? I think. Like I mentioned in the first, the first characteristic is like everybody have their own unfair advantage, and after you identify what's your unfair advantage, you probably have to know what is your weakness. And then I'm not saying you need to just like spending a lot of time to fix that weakness. It's more they all had just like a team surround them to help them succeed, right?、Like、figuring out like who you should. Have on your team, and then you know who to go to. What direction is extremely important. I love that advice. Hiring your weakness. Ah, that's gold right there. That makes so much、yeah. sense. I, I think it's probably just like partnering with your weakness, right? Like in your show, you guys have three people, and each of you are like in different kind of business category or business zone, and then you all can bring in like different perspectives, right? And then in terms of production or like running. The show, I am sure all of you contribute a little in like your own way. So I think this is like a good example of partnering up with people that maybe can like suits you like in the business. That's a good point, Grace. To Lee's point, like you've interviewed a ton of really senior people and like important people in Silicon Valley. I'm just curious, like of everyone you've interviewed, what's your favorite interview? Who's the best and why? Like I see you had the CEO of、mm-hmm. Instagram. You had. Senior VPs at Facebook, Amazon. Which is the best you've done? If I were to only pick one to listen to, which one should I listen to? I think the CEO of FTX is obviously like a really good one on picking your battle as well as riding the wave and then kind of kind of like betting on the big things, right? And then definitely learn different things from different people. I would totally recommend all of them, but I feel like that's gonna be an overkill for everybody. But I would say like. One of the interview that really leave an impression on me was the former CEO of Chipotle or former co-CEO of Chipotle. So one of the things that he did when he got into the company was he just chatted with twenty thousand Chipotle employee, and then he would go undercover to go into Chipotle store to pretend that like he's going through like a manager training program, and、There's、I was just like, that, right, undercover、uh, boss. Will- He has a PBS、yeah. documentary now, but I don't really know if he covered that part. But I was like, I was pretty impressed. I feel like this is something that you see in the movies or like in like a TV show or something. But like, it's a bit dramatic for for a top CEO to be like, "Hey, today I'm gonna just pretend myself as like an employee and then go in there and then yeah." I feel like it was just a lot of these kind of small details that 
that just kind of showed me who this person is. I just feel like they, they're just like really just trying to listen to people. And then they don't mind to really roll up their sleeves to be in the zone of working yeah. with people that's in the field. So I feel like those are something that I really leave an impression on me. And then I feel like if one day I was running my own company, company to something like that big I would totally do kind of like the same thing showing up and they'll go undercover and see how things are getting run and then I think that taught me like kind of two things one thing when you're really trying to connect with your community you can it's just like most people probably don't want to do the work right like who wants to clean up the dirty dishes like throwing out the trash and most people at that level like probably would not want to just do like anything on the ground but I feel like he was just mm. really like it was just it showed me that if you really want to connect with your community or like people in your company really listen to them you can and then number two is I feel like it, it was another thing it's like it's really important to just like the listening part right I think being able to understand where people are coming from and then what challenges people are facing day to day and then that's how you can come up with the like ground up strategy for your company to run efficiently because if you are only sitting in your office like listening to the two people around you to tell you what to do you're always going to get the same solution as before so you have to really play something different being able to get into the field and like actually listening to people that's on the ground so I feel like those are things that I kind of learned from that lesson yeah I love that love that example and Lee and Matt, you guys have a history with Chipotle, right? Wasn't it a bad investment or something? From Lee? <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was some investment recommendation by Lee. <laughs> it was an, actually a very good investment recommendation. It just took a little longer than I was hoping, but it did actually fantastic. <laughs> Wait, but what happened? Not... <laughs> oh, let's, we, let's, let's tell we the were, public right, what happened. So what happened? That, was a pretty, <laughs> that was a rose-colored glasses way to look at it right now. Oh, no, absolutely <laughs> not. Because at the time, this is when everyone was getting poisoned by Chipotle. I'll say it wrong, Chipotle, whatever. But everyone was getting sick and Matt was like, oh, that company's gonna, they're going under because no one likes them. And I was just like, no, they're going to get over this. They're going to be way more valuable in the future than they are now. And they were at $300 then, now check out their stock price. So it just took a little bit longer. So one of the things with any investment is like, you have to be in it for the long haul. I was hoping that it would come around in a year, two years, but it took a lot longer. I cannot uh, believe they're over 1500 a share right now. I had yeah. no idea. That's insane. Yeah, but that just goes to show you, like with this, any company, beginning stage, middle stage, growth and success take a long amount of time. It's not overnight, especially when they hit roadblocks. It takes a long time to recover. But that was the backstory with that. But Grace, I want to know, like with these companies that are not making it. So I, you've interviewed the successes, but I'm sure a lot of these founders had times where they started a project before and it imploded or it didn't do that well. What, where was their mistake? I think in terms of the mistakes, I think it's just all kind of mistakes. <laughs> I think like starting a business, like I think the default should be like, most likely it will fail, especially in the high growth tax startup. And then I think, I think I would categorize the mistake in three kind of like bullet point. Number one is I thought what I thought was surprising was at the beginning, I thought people would run out of money. That's like the major way that a company die, right? Someone shared with me a really popular Silicon Valley incubator or accelerator in, in the same batch of people. I would say like over 50% are because of the co-founder having issues. 
or the team have some sort of like differentiated digestion of the team. So basically like a lot of it were like because of the founding team does not see things along like the same line kind of. So basically the team kind of split up is like one of the big reason that company kind of fail because of people just cannot agree on where the company is going to go. And so that's what surprised me when I entered the scene, right? Number two is I think a lot of the high tech startup are really focusing on let's raise a lot of money and let's just buy a lot of ads, right? Like the other day I was like on, on LinkedIn looking at basically one company I've never heard of acquired a, a really like big company that I have heard of, a big unicorn. So the unicorn raised over $150 million. And then the company that acquired them only raised $10 million. And then the $10 million people were really frugal. They were doing a lot of growth hacks and then they were doing a lot of like really just marketing without marketing dollar kind of stuff and then they really think differently and then they really put off and then during this kind of giant economic downturn they acquired their competitor who raised like 15 times whatever they were raising because of the smaller company was like being really frugal and then doing thinking out of out of their boxes and then Instead of doing what their competitor were doing, the unicorn company was just raise a lot of money and then using the money to buy ads. So basically, I feel like what that taught me personally was like sometimes startups fail not because of you did not raise enough money. It's because of you are using the money inefficiently and then you forgot your startup. You were just like trying to spend a lot of money to beat your competitor by trying to buy the success. I think having a product, really listening to your customer and then really trying to be frugal and then trying to doing things in the emerging way, it's going to get you a lot more further than if you just spend money and then trying to buy the success. And I think number three is sometimes like startups are not starting in the right time. Like I think if you know, you're going to enter, I'm not saying now it's a wrong time. I'm saying like, depends on what you're starting, right? If you're starting a Shopify store in an economic downturn, I personally feel like maybe you will encounter a lot of challenge because everybody's starting a Shopify store these days. If you have no unfair advantage, and then if you have no industry insights to get you off the ground a lot faster than your competitors, I think it's not extremely a good idea to just go into a market that's already a red ocean and then already everybody's going to compete with you in the same way. I think maybe the time will play a huge difference. Like, especially if you're starting a really traditional business when everybody else are kind of already occupy the market with their input. I think that's a really good point. The timing. Think about, we had the guys from CrossNet on. Lee and Matt, I don't know if you remember that one. Oh, yeah. Their timing was yeah, perfect. It was, like, <laughs> yeah. it was like an outdoor oh, With COVID and everything. With they, COVID. They boomed, yeah. And it, the four square thing and like timing. Yeah, the four square there. thing. Yeah. yeah, we had them. We interviewed them and that, what you just said was like, that was all timing. Like, yes, they built a cool product, but like without COVID, who knows if it explodes the way it exploded. I don't know. It goes to pets.com overall. Yeah, that, I was thinking of it wasn't a terrible idea. It was probably a fantastic idea, but maybe just came a little bit too early. But yeah. So timing is key. And speaking of that and all the startups, we're in this new day and age where there's a lot of crypto startups. And I've seen that you've done a lot of interviews, a lot of the crypto people. And what's your thoughts on that industry and where it's at, and the companies that are coming out of there? It seems like it's a promising space, but there also seems like there's a lot of 
trash in that space also. So it's really confusing for a lot of investors. But what's your take on it? Yeah, totally. I think there are three major takes there. I think number one is I'm personally pretty bullish on the Web3 space. I think when we talk about Web3 today, it will be like how we talk about tech, how we talk about stuff are building on the internet or like the mobile phone or something like 10 years from now. So I think everything will become Web3. That's like my personal observation. And then- Can you explain Web3 to me like I'm five? Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh, four. So, Go for it. four for me. Yeah, it doesn't need sure. to be technical, just like high level. What is it? Okay. So I think- I can only say my personal opinion because I'm pretty sure there will be a lot of really technical people to argue that whatever I said will be completely out of the line with whatever they understand. So how I imagine it, it's like at a point that you will spend more time on your digital world and more energy and more resources onto your digital world than the real world. And then the Web3, one of the big components is ownership. So you like right now, let's say this podcast, right? You distribute it on Libsyn or Buzzsprout and you have to let it live on Spotify and all these like web two apps. And then in the future, imagine you do not need a centralized place. So if one day Spotify shut down, then like where is your audience going to go to listen to your podcast or YouTube shut down or like any other distributing platform shut down, like you will have nowhere to go. And you also do not, own like your listeners you do not know where they are the data are collected by the third parties right like with the decentralization and with web3 technologies kick in like i think you will be able to own a piece of whatever your creation is right so for example the other day i'm a fellow podcaster i was doing a live interview and then i launched a poll up so my listeners will be able to collect that moment or like when I drop my pull up, it's like an NFT. And then like it's a attended proof of attendance NFT. And then for example, someone listening to this episode can get a free pull up and then they will be able to collect this moment. They will own whatever they resonate with our conversation forever on their blockchain, on their wallet. So not on their blockchain, but on their wallet. So basically that's like, the moment that like I feel like it's really exciting for a lot of people yeah. having the ownership, being able to earning from whatever you are putting out there. It's really exciting for people. Yeah, I appreciate that. So it's like not less dependence on some of these big like mono like monopoly type companies. Well, this is like my personal understanding. It's more you own what you kind of output it. Yeah. As well as I also really the part that like the digital identity in the metaverse that can kind of, you can just be truly who you are and then you can hang out with people that are not in your area. So I know that you still can right now, but I think like most people are still like kind of really gathered through the geolocation, right? So for example, like all of us are living in the Bay Area and then you guys met through like school or work or like just being in the same area. So, but like in the future, like you will be able to meet someone from the metaverse that's in maybe in Dubai, in Canada, in anywhere, but you all share the same hobby. You can connect with them on a deeper level than people just currently within your geolocation that you can go to the grocery store with. I'm not saying that's not good to be physically around the same people. I'm just saying like being able to expand 
like your network as well as being able to truly be who you are through digital expression expre- like express expression so basically let's say like right now i'm wearing like a little suit jacket or something like but that's just me identify myself as a business person or like entrepreneur or something but like in the metaverse you can wear the things that you typically would not wear on the street you can wear like a wing or something like so i think for a lot of people they can kind of like just unleash their inner mm. creativity within the world that that is just not just not in the real world they cannot really express in in, in its way very interesting stuff so Grace, going on to the these companies that are up and coming. So when I look at companies and I'm looking at investing and I'm, I look mm-hmm. at them in a more mature stage, I look at revenues, I look at the competition, I look at the innovation, but lo- a lot of the numbers, n- net revenue, profit margins, that sort of thing. It's really tough in the venture capital space because I think they're all they all have a ton of debt. And I was just like your expertise on like when you're looking at these companies in these beginning stages, what are things that we should look for? Something that might be a promising company that would be up and coming. Totally. I think I think number one is definitely people. Like the early stage founders are pretty much defines who the team was. Like so so I've heard from a really just like really big VC that kind of educated the space as if you have a team executing a B idea. They're going to be the B team executing on A idea. So basically a team matters the most as who can pull something off, right? And then we've seen there's super famous founders that are racing the second time in a really big way. And then like people are, oh, having just a really, really strong opinions on those kind of situations. And But like on the other hand, from like investor angle, like this person can pull it off. This person can understand the market, have the track record of executing on his idea. It kind of proves to the VCs that like this person can execute on something. So I think like being, just having a really good team, it matters a lot. And then number two is, again, like I think the market matters a lot. If you are a team in the C-level market, so basically it's a red ocean, there's no big waves coming at you. It's really easy to just, you probably need to pivot, right? But if you are in a really big market wave that's oh helping you to navigate through i feel like just jumping into the right wave it's like really important um and then just being at a market that's like fast growing it's gonna make a huge difference and i think number three is primarily like i will admit on this show i think like in vc you have to just like really think positively like a certain outcome because of if everybody just believes something is not going to go anywhere it's very likely this is not going anywhere and I think like a lot of people think if I just hustle hard my startup will work I think a lot of it were also right place right time and the luck component come in and then I'm not saying it's like a giant lottery game. I'm just saying there are certain things that you can control, but there are certain things you can't. So I personally believe like a lot of people are at the right place, right time. So I wouldn't doubt the luck component just exists. So this is the third part is not technically the benchmark that you should be using to when it comes to investing, but you have to realize it is a very high risk, high reward situation. So there's no way for anyone to just be able to tell like 
this thing for sure will exist in the next like 10, 20 years. That makes a lot of sense. Real, real quick, Grace. So I know you've interviewed a ton of great people, but like, you're also an amazing person. Like thinking about your journey, like you're, you're an international student, right? Mm -hmm. I'm curious more on what makes you tick. How do you think you had success? Because I would argue you're an outlier. Like your journey is not the norm. So what advice do you have for somebody coming from outside of the States trying to make it like, cause I, I would argue like mm -hmm. you're exceptional. So like, what could you share on what's have like for your success? Thank you for your kind world. I don't think I'm like successful. So I would say I, I do agree that like I am kind of like in a non-traditional path as like most international students. I think, I think again, like three things. I think number one is like, I've been really trying to fit myself into a box at the very beginning. Like I tried to work for the job that everybody thinks it's awesome. And I quit the same job that I think and everything everybody think it's awesome for something that will just people think it's not making sense to go into starting a company or something in the economic downturn vibe stuff. I think number one is what I've learned is like you have to be really in ton of yourself. Like you really have to know what you what you're good at and then what you are not good at for example i'm really terrible at coding when i first moved to san francisco the first thing i did was signing up for a coding boot camp and i did a really terrible job i basically quit the class after day two it was yeah like it, it was just me trying to fitting myself into a box and i tried a lot of things and it all just told me that i should not be going down a certain direction of my career so I would say like finding your inner kind of strength into certain things is like really important. I think number two is setting up the right hobby or having a really good in like content diets is really important. So for example, I love listening to stuff in the gym. So, so for example, I would just like having a book always playing in the back of my phone and then now it's like a podcast like the, this one. And I would listening to a podcast in the background and then like having a content diet that really helps me as to keeping up with what's new in the society or like what's new in the tech world or like in the world in general. I think having be, and then after being a podcaster, I feel that's extremely important on your content diet, what's con contained in your content diet, similar to a real life diet, right? If every day you're eating a fried chicken and then you're going to, I'm not saying you're going to become a fried chicken, but it's, it's similar to if you're every day you're eating a kale th salad, although it's like a really disgusting at once, but like later on you'll thank yourself that you're treating yourself to something that's good for your body, right? So like it's same thing with the content diet. I think like yeah. being able to listening to the non like dramatic situation happening on TikTok is it's gonna save you a lot more time and energy yeah. to spend the time and energy into the right things. Yeah. And then I think number three is I think don't be afraid to be different. I think like most international students or like people coming from another country feel like to blend in is the best way to do anything. I think I think that's like the stage one. I think stage two and three is more like, you know, how you can just owning your own opinion, especially in the world of the current like internet stage. I feel like no matter what you're doing, 
you can always find people that are like kind of similar to you. They're somewhere on the internet. So I feel like you need to just own your uniqueness than trying to hide them behind a shell. Yeah, thanks for sharing. So Grace, what's your uh, what's your favorite crypto project? Since you're kind of in that space. I think I wouldn't say any project is my favorite, but I would say I would say I actually been really following like the brand space and the FT space. So this morning we're talking about is lending in Decentraland. I really like watching brands enter into the Web3 space as well as like I don't have a particular project I had name, but like I would say when I went to NFT NYC, I like that enthusiasm between people where they can just identify their own community. So for example, I was standing in line in front of the psychedelic projects and then like we were all waiting to be going into the breakfast there. And then me, my friends and I bonded with a lot of people just in line and then being in line. I think after the pandemic, a lot of people during the pandemic, people are really hard, like having a really hard time to like just meeting new people and then including them into just including like new people into their life. Like it's people kind of lost in its way to like making friends and stuff. And these NFT projects, I wouldn't name specific ones, but like this, uh, these NFT projects, a lot of the NFT projects are kind of helping people finding a community and then being a part of something. So I feel like this movement, although people constantly bashing on NFT project have absolutely no meaning. I think still there's some sort of truth to why they are becoming so popular in 2021, where people can just find a community where they can chat with every day, check in with each other. And then when you are belong in one NFT group or a community, you can instantly make friends in every city or like every country in the world without people asking why are you connecting with me right so if the three like if the four of us the four of us are bonded by this podcast but there's a lot of people like we, we for example if someone reaching out to you over linkedin or twitter you probably don't know who they are but if they are in the same community with you online they're like hey i'm i also share X NFT, and then you're way easier to just identify them as having some sort of common background. That helps a lot of people make a lot of friends. So I would say I wouldn't name any specific project, but I do think like certain NFT communities are making a really big move into just people just bonding with each other. So I really like that aspect of Web3 or like crypto. So in terms of the specific ones, since, I mean, I think because of investing in NFT or anything have financial risk and today a project may do well and then tomorrow it's your hard earned money. So like, I would not advise people to buy anything, anyone say in any podcast without doing your own research. So I highly suggest people, if you're interested in a project, you enter within the notion of knowing this thing will not make you money, but you're just there to meet new people, expand your network, finding people who think like you. And then I think that's a better mentality to find an NFT project or bang into the any kind of Web3 products. So Grace, you've written two very successful books. How would you describe the books for the potential buyers of, that would want to read your first book versus your second book? How are they geared? I would say, I mean... I think like 
the first book is more about like entrepreneurship and then and then the second book is more about how to uh start your career in VC so I just interviewed a bunch of people who did the VC job so I think it's more on the story side than if you have a checklist or something but on the other hand I do think like entering either venture capital or startup it's all on the human side right venture capital like a lot of it was networking can you how do you ex- expand your network how do you build a network I think those are really important to connect with people's story are more powerful to me than to have a hardcore checklist because a lot of people can do these math but I think only a few people can really leverage the information to get somewhere with their career so I do think either way you'll find a lot of interesting stories in those books there on Amazon Thank you, Lee, for asking this. Yeah, no, thank you. Thank you. You've done a fantastic job in your books and I'm looking forward to reading them. So thank you. Thank you. And then you guys need to send me this link so I can share on my website too. Yeah, and absolutely. Tell us about your wonderful podcast that's blowing up right now. Uh, Thank you. So it's called Smart Venture Podcast. If you are enjoying a podcast like this one, as well as any kind of business or career development podcast, you should check out. And then I'm sure you will like some of the episodes. Awesome. Thank you for joining us today, Grace. It's been amazing having you. You're doing some fantastic stuff and we appreciate everything you're doing for everyone in the space. So thank you. Thank you so much, Lee. Thank you so much, Sergio and Matt, for having me on the show. Anytime. Thank you for coming. Anytime. You've been listening to the Free Retiree Show. So long for now. Securities offered through Securities America Incorporated. Member FINRA, www.finra.org. SIPC, www.sipc.org. A separate entity. Lee Michael Murphy is licensed with the California Department of Insurance, license 0H18660. Lee Michael Murphy is an investment advisor representative with Securities America Advisors, a registered investment advisor. The Free Retiree, Securities America Advisors, and Securities America Incorporated are separate entities. Career Advisor Sergio Patterson, Attorney Matt Scullerick are not affiliated with Securities America Advisors or Securities America Incorporated. Securities America Advisors, Securities America Incorporated, and its representatives do not provide tax or legal advice. Therefore, it's important to coordinate with your tax or legal advisor regarding your specific situation. The content heard in this podcast is not intended to be tax, investment, or legal advice and is intended as general guidance only. You should contact your own tax advisor, financial advisor, or attorney to answer questions about your specific situation or needs before acting upon this information. Third-party sourced information or comments are not verified, may not be accurate, and are not necessarily representative of all client or audience experience. A portion of this event was paid by a third party. The opinions of career advisor Sergio Patterson do not reflect the opinions of Facebook, Inc. The opinions of attorney Matt McGorry do not reflect the opinions of Castaneda and Company.